don't know if you noticed the words of that second verse. Uh, it runs, I believe that Jesus suffered on the cross. He bore my shame. I believe that he was buried, then triumphant rose again. Have you ever wondered why a whole line is given to the fact that Jesus was buried? Because uh, if you read the Apostles' Creed, uh, that is given as a statement by itself. Jesus died, he was buried, and he rose again. I think most of us would say, well, is the buried bit really necessary? Jesus died. He rose again. Those are the important bits. Do we really need to emphasize the fact that he was buried? But it's interesting that scripture itself does the same thing. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In the opening verses, the Apostle Paul writes this. He says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast that word which I preach to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. So even scripture, even the Apostle Paul, seems to understand the burial of Christ to be significant. And it's not something that we can just forget about. And that is the passage I'd like to look at this evening, uh, the passage, at least Mark's account, of Christ's burial. And Mark himself gives one, two, three, four, five, six verses describing the circumstances of Christ's burial. And I believe there are uh, four possible reasons why Christ's burial is significant. Now, there might be more reasons, uh, but these are four possible reasons why Jesus' burial is significant. And the four reasons are these. Uh, there is a practical reason. There's a scriptural reason. There's an intellectual reason. And there's an emotional reason. That last one, I'm not happy with that. Uh, that's the best I could come up with, but you'll see what I mean when we get there. But those are the four reasons. A practical reason, a scriptural reason, an intellectual reason, and an emotional reason. And that's what I'd like for us to look at this evening. So let's start with the practical reason why Jesus was buried. Now look at verse 42 of Mark chapter 15. Uh, we read... Now, when evening had come, because it was the preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, 
coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus so that he might bury it. Mark tells us that Joseph of Arimathea, a quite obscure character in the Bible, he claimed the body of Christ to bury it because it was the preparation day, the day before the Sabbath. And we might say, well, I I don't get the point. (laughs) Why does the fact that it was the preparation day make any particular difference to Joseph of Arimathea? Well, we're given more information in John's Gospel. And in John's Gospel, chapter 19, uh, we're giving a little more information. Uh, We're told, because it was the preparation day, that the body should not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that there, that's the crucified people, Jesus and the two criminals on his left and right, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. In other words, the religious leaders, the Jews, did not want the bodies of the crucified criminals in their mind. They didn't want them hanging on the cross on the Sabbath. And they wanted the bodies to be taken down and discarded. Because that is what often happened to crucified men. Uh, There was no one who wanted to claim them because they were despised. Uh, They were the lowest of the low and they would potentially be just slung on a rubbish heap, their bodies. And to prevent that, Joseph of Arimathea, who we're told in other Gospels was a secret disciple of Christ, a secret until this point, (laughs) He claims the body of Christ to prevent it being discarded. Um, Just as a point of interest, you might find this interesting. You notice it says the preparation day was the day before the Sabbath. And there's been much confusion about this because uh, if you do the maths, uh, it doesn't seem to work. Because Jesus was crucified, it says, on the day before the Sabbath. But Jesus rose again on the Sunday, the day after the Sabbath. Sabbath being a Saturday. The Jewish Sabbath is Saturday. And so you think, well, how do you fit three days into Friday, Saturday, Sunday? How do you fit the three days on that Saturday? Um, But it is possible that the Sabbath which is being spoken of here isn't the Saturday Sabbath at all. Uh, If you know your Old Testament you'll know that the day after Passover was itself a unique Sabbath day. Uh, You can look at it in the book of Leviticus, the book of Deuteronomy. It says that the day after Passover was to be celebrated as a Sabbath all of its own. And what it seems has happened in this particular week was it was Passover, and then there was the Sabbath the day after Passover, and then there was the normal Sabbath, after that and that would explain why the women waited three days before anointing the body they didn't have just one sabbath to wait through they had two sabbaths and that's probably what john means when he says because it was the preparation day that the body should not remain on the cross on the sabbath for that sabbath was a high day he's drawing attention to this was a unique sabbath So I just mentioned that just in case you are puzzled by how the maths works there. Uh, 
But the point was that the Jewish people did not want these bodies hanging on the cross on the Sabbath day, which when you think about it is nonsensical in the sense that they were willing to crucify the Son of God, but they weren't willing to have their body, the body hang on the cross on the Sabbath. Uh, you can see their priorities are a bit out of line, to put it mildly. They're concerned about something relatively unimportant when they crucify the Son of God. But in any case, to prevent Jesus' body being discarded, being thrown away on a rubbish heap, Joseph Arimathea takes courage and he claims the body of Christ. And Matthew tells us uh, that he buried Christ in his own tomb. Uh, The tomb that Jesus was buried in was the tomb, presumably, that Joseph had made for himself. And he gave that to his master, to his Lord. He did it to show honour to Christ, to avoid him being discarded and thrown on the rubbish heap. So that's the first reason, the practical reason, why Jesus was buried, to prevent the normal course of events happening that would normally happen to a crucified criminal. But there's a second reason, a scriptural reason. Uh, Did you notice um, what it said uh, about Joseph of Arimathea? In verse 43, it says, Joseph of Arimathea was a prominent council member. Joseph of Arimathea was an important man. He was a VIP. Uh, If you look at Matthew's gospel, he's described by Matthew as a rich man. Uh, Joseph of Arimathea was a man of significance and a man of wealth. And the reason that is significant is because of something that was spoken many hundreds of years before. Uh, If you turn in your Bibles, if you have them, to the book of Isaiah, you can see what that significant thing was. And in Isaiah... Chapter 53, we read some uh, intriguing words. I'm sure many of you are aware Isaiah 53 is a prophecy. It's a prophecy of the Messiah written 700 years before Christ. And in this chapter, Isaiah speaks of how the Messiah would come, how he would suffer, how he would bear the sins of God's people how he would save his people from their sins. And towards the end of the prophecy, we read these words. Uh, We read from verse, I'll read from verse 8, Isaiah 53, verse 8. And Isaiah speaking of the Messiah as if he were in the past tense, so certain is this prophecy of coming true. Verse 8 says, he was taken from judgment, uh, from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. What a strange sentence. Isaiah says that the Messiah would have his grave made with the wicked, but with the rich at his death. 
And many people have scratched their head over this verse. What on earth does that mean? What is Isaiah saying about the Messiah? But in hindsight, it makes perfect sense. Jesus, the Messiah, did die with the wicked. He died with criminals and murderers on his right and left hand sides. And yet, he was buried, as it were, with the rich at his death. Uh, What you would think would be two um, groups of society which do not meet, criminals and the wealthy and the prosperous and the rich, yet they are, as it were, united at Christ's death. His death was with the wicked, but he's buried with the wealthy. And so we see that Jesus' burial in a rich man's tomb is a wonderful fulfillment of prophecy. God keeps his word to the letter. And I'm sure you can see that that is a very unusual set of circumstances. Uh, A very unusual set of circumstances where a condemned, despised criminal is buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, That would be a situation very difficult to fabricate, very difficult to manufacture, and yet we see that is exactly what happened in the death and burial of Christ. So that's the second reason Christ's burial is significant, because it was a fulfillment of Scripture. That is the scriptural reason. So we've had the practical reason to prevent Christ's body being discarded on the rubbish heap. The second reason is the scriptural reason to fulfill prophecy. But there's also what I'm calling an an intellectual reason. Uh, Did you notice uh, what it says in verses 44 to 46 of Mark 15? Uh, It says, Pilate, this is after Joseph Arimathea has asked for the body of Christ, It says in verse 44, Pilate marveled. Pilate was amazed that Jesus was already dead. And summoned the centurion. He asked him if he had been dead for some time. So when he found out from the centurion, he granted the body to Joseph. Then he brought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen. And he laid him in a tomb which had been hewn out of the rock and rolled a stone against the door of the tomb. The point is, Jesus was truly dead. We're told that Pilate was amazed that he had died so quickly. So Pilate was sceptical already. And it stretches credulity to think that after he had made inquiries, he would still be deceived and think that Jesus was dead when he wasn't. He checks with the centurion, and the centurion believes and sees that Jesus is dead. Joseph of Arimathea climbs up on the cross and takes the body down, and he believes that Jesus is dead. 
and he's placed in this freshly hewn tomb with a huge stone rolled over the front, which no single man could remove, let alone a weak, dying one on the inside. And all this shows us that Jesus was truly dead when he came down from the cross. There was once upon a time uh, where it was popular in sort of theological circles to say that Jesus merely swooned on the cross. Some of you may have come across this idea that Jesus didn't really die. He kind of just fainted or swooned. And then when he was placed in the cool of the tomb, he kind of was revived and all his disciples said it was a resurrection. That doesn't fit the actual circumstances. Even if, by some impossibility, Jesus was alive when he was taken from the cross, uh, it's hardly ideal to leave a person in that state alone in a tomb without food, without water, without medical care. And if he wasn't dead when he went in the tomb, which he certainly was, if he wasn't, he certainly would be very soon. And that's the third significance of Christ's burial. It tells us, it teaches us that Jesus was truly dead. If Jesus had died and immediately risen from the dead, then we could never know for sure that he had really died. Because that wouldn't be the most natural explanation, would it? If Jesus rose again immediately, you would say, well, he just didn't die in the first place. That's a much more reasonable explanation. But to make it clear, to show and demonstrate that Jesus truly died for our sins, he was buried in a tomb for three days. That's what I'm calling the intellectual reason. Uh, If you have any doubt that Jesus really died, and thus you're not sure that he really rose again, look at the facts of the case. He was buried in a tomb for three days. He truly was dead. The resurrection is real. That's the intellectual reason for the burial of Christ. The fourth thing, and lastly, I want to turn to uh, what I'm calling the emotional reason. And I, I don't, as I said, I don't like that title. I think I've come up with a better one, but I haven't been able to yet. Uh, but I'll explain what I mean by it. Uh, did you notice what it looked like, what it, Mark writes in verse 47? Verse 47, it says, And Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, observed where he, Jesus, was laid. Uh, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, were disciples, female disciples of Jesus, who uh, ministered to him during his earthly ministry. And it says they observed where Jesus was laid. And can you imagine their emotions as they saw Jesus laid into that tomb? Uh, Can you imagine what they must have been feeling and thinking? Uh, They must have felt completely grief-stricken and bereft. Uh, The one who they thought was the Messiah was dead. The one who they thought would be the saviour 
was dead. The one who they thought was their king was dead. The one who they loved was dead. The one who they pinned all their hope on was dead. And there he was laid in a tomb with a stone rolled over the front. And they must have thought, this is the end. This is the end of all our hopes. This is the end of all our expectation. And in that moment, they did not realize that three days later, just three short days later, their weeping would be turned to joy. And that is the fourth and final reason for Christ's burial. Uh, Christ's burial before his resurrection gives us a pattern and a source of encouragement for us in our own lives. Because our lives can often mirror that same pattern. Life isn't always easy, is it? Uh, There are all sorts of hardships we have to go through. Many difficulties, many pains, uh, many heartaches. And we can be tempted to despair. But what Mark teaches us is that though weeping may last for a night, joy comes in the morning. We don't have to despair. Now, they were in the middle of it. They had not yet seen the resurrection. When they saw Christ go into the tomb, they thought it was the end. Three days later, they realized it wasn't. But we too can feel that way, and we can see all sorts of difficulties in our lives and in other people's lives, and we can ask God, why? Why is this happening? Why are you allowing me to go through this dark circumstance? But we can look at the experience of these women. And we can say, although it might be dark now, joy is coming later. The burial of Christ gives us hope. And this is the pattern which God goes through time and time and time ago, again. Uh, it's even, it seems, written in the pattern of day and night. And they always say, don't they, the darkest hour is just before the dawn. Uh, Jesus himself said, didn't he, that not that he saves us from death, but he saves us through death. We are going to have to face dark things. We will all have to face death in the end. But just as Jesus died and was buried and went into the depths of the grave, so we will as well. But just like Christ rose, we will rise as well. Uh, Why did God have Jesus lay in the tomb for three days. I don't know. (laughs) Ultimately, I don't think the Bible gives a crystal clear answer of why God waited for three days. Why not two days? Why not four days, five days? We don't know why Jesus had to spend so long in the tomb. But whatever the reason, 
it was God's timetable, not ours. I don't know why he allowed the disciples to grieve for as long as he let them grieve. But I do know that they should have known that Jesus was coming back. Because he told them. He said to them, I'll be despised, I'll be rejected, I'll be crucified, I'll be buried. But three days later, I will rise again. And it's the same for us. I don't know the reasons why God allows us to go through all sorts of griefs and pains and heartache and darkness in our lives. Uh, Some of it seems absolutely inexplicable sometimes, doesn't it? But we don't need to understand. Because what we do know is that God says that our home is fixed and secure in the heavenly places. And no matter what we go through in life, A resurrection day is coming. And I believe that's one of the biggest lessons we can learn from the burial of Christ. It reminds us that no matter how dark life gets, no matter how difficult life gets, however hopeless life seems to get, it isn't the end. It wasn't the end for Christ. And because it wasn't the end for Christ, it won't be the end for us. That's what I'm calling the emotional reason, the reason of hope. Christ's burial gives us hope that when we, as it were, get laid in the grave, that is not the end. There is a hope for all of God's children, all who trust in him. And trust me, those few thoughts are are help and encouragement to us as we look at why Jesus was buried. And that's why I've chosen Uh, as our final hymn, number 746. And it's picking up on that last point, and it's really a hymn designed to speak to our own souls, um, regardless of whatever heartache we might be feeling. Number 746, Be still, my soul, the Lord is on thy side. Bear patiently the cross of grief or pain. And particularly verse 3, Be still, my soul, the hour is hastening on, when we shall be forever with the Lord, when disappointment Grief and fear are gone. Sorrow forgot, love's purest joys restored. Be still, my soul, when change and tears are past. All safe and blessed we shall meet at last. So let's close by singing number 746.